Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Okay, so welcome to the Oral Health Podcast. Um, I'm here again with Karen. Um, as part of Math Cancer Action Month, we're talking to lots of different people, um, patients and professionals. And um, we're going to take a little bit of time today to chat about to chat about radiotherapy because we've spoken to lots of people now and it's always come up as a very key part of the mouth cancer treatment process. So, uh, yeah, we're talking about radiotherapy and, um, I know you, you know, someone that actually helps patients with radiotherapy, don't you? Yeah. One of my close friends, um, trained as a radiotherapist and has worked for many years, um, with, uh, with patients with uh, cancer and, um, yeah, she's she's told me a bit about it, you know, with the uh, the making of the um, certainly with oral cancers, the mask that that directs the beams uh, to mm-hmm. treat the patients. Yeah, and um, so we're here today with um, Dr. Miguel Ferreira. Yeah, so he is a, a clinical oncologist, and we talked a bit about radiotherapy um, and where it fits into the the, the the spectrum of mouth cancer treatment. Um, and talked a little about surgery and chemotherapy as well, but mainly about the radiotherapy process. And um, yeah, the masks were something that we uh, we talked a little bit about after the recording stopped as well, because they're obviously all bespoke to each patient. So I did ask, like, oh, do they get recycled? Do they get, um, you know, just thrown away? And it was because uh, they obviously, they need to keep you very still for reasons we'll go into Um when we talked to him but it um it was very very interesting and I know I say that a lot maybe because I'm just really easily amused but I actually did find it very interesting talking to him about it well you know every day when you speak to somebody who knows a little bit different different things than you do um it is really interesting to to find uh, you know find out new things and i think we're all looking and striving to educate ourselves on a lot of different subjects i've heard that people take them home as souvenirs when they're finished yeah my them. uh a funny story i will not name names because i'll get in a lot of trouble with my uh family if i do but we do have a family member that dresses hers up for halloween to scare children with because it is quite a they're quite haunting if you just look at them yeah. but obviously yeah. served a very very amazing purpose absolutely but, and i think it yeah. i mean it becomes part part of somebody's life because it has been custom made for them mm-hmm. and it represents a time that you know they, they were going through quite a lot and um 
it's you know i think I think once you're over and and you know through the worst of it it may not bring back unhappy memories it brings back memories of a time where you know you were you were fighting against something and it, it, it i'm sure it can be sort of a you know something that gives people strength and hope as well yeah and you know when we did speak to miguel he did make it very clear that he is not the only person in the radiotherapy team. He is not the person that pulls the trigger, so to speak. He is just one of many. And I think that was really important as well, because there is so many people that are fighting in your corner when you're going through something like cancer treatment. And um, it's never just down to one person and they do understand how tough it can be. And, um, you know, we'll let him go into much more detail than I can um, about this so I hope that you enjoy the conversation that we had with Miguel and I will see you soon okay so um, Miguel if we first want to just talk a little bit about you give us a little bit of background as to who you are what you do and what your role is so uh, my name is Miguel Ferreira. I'm a clinical oncologist. So that's the kind of doctors that do radiotherapy and chemotherapy and all of that. And I'm a, I subspecialize in head and neck cancer. I also have a research program looking at the effects of um, immunity, but also uh, microbes around the mouth and elsewhere in uh, the results of uh, cancer treatment, uh, where obviously I also look a lot at head and neck cancer. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, so you're a clinical oncologist, and today we're mainly focusing on radiotherapy, as that's the most common treatment that we hear from mouth cancer patients that they have apart from the surgery. Um, so really simply, what is radiotherapy treatment? So radiotherapy is a, treat, a treatment that we use to uh, cure and treat cancer. Um a bit like surgery, uh, it's a localized treatment, meaning what I generally tell my patients is that we have this big machine called the linear accelerator, uh, which acts a bit like a gun in the sense that it shoots at a certain target and we can target it wherever we want to. That can be to the neck and um, around this head area if we want to cure a cancer or to other places when we need to um, treat a cancer that has spread elsewhere. Uh, in the sense, uh, so also chemotherapy in parallel is a different kind of treatment and where um, instead of giving radiation, we give a pharmaceutical of some kind uh, that is generally given either through the mouth or through a vein and where radiotherapy is a bit like a gun, chemotherapy, you can picture it like an, a hand grenade in the sense that it treats you from head to toe. When both treatments are used together uh, to try and cure uh, head and neck cancers, uh, the purpose of chemotherapy there, instead of treating cancer that is elsewhere, is actually to prepare the field for radiotherapy to work better. And that is used in some indications in some stages of cancers, uh, but not some others. Okay. Um, so... I lost my train of thought there. So because radiotherapy tends to be the most common for mouth cancer, at least from the patients we speak to, is that? So not not uh, not really. So in the sense that oral cancer uh, is common. So we need to divide several aspects here. OK, 
So um, when we treat a patient that has cancer, mm -hmm. sometimes we're attempting to cure that patient, or actually most times we're attempting to cure that patient. If the cancer doesn't have some bad things, uh, like having spread elsewhere in the body, where unfortunately cancer has become incurable. Um, and when we're trying to cure patients, the um, first approach that we take is generally surgery, okay? It's less common that we use radiotherapy as what you'd call definitive treatment. So on its own or as the core base of the treatment. Mm -hmm. Now, when patients have a certain stage uh, to their disease, so that uh, is dependent on a lot of, lot of characteristics such as aggressiveness, uh, where the cancer has spread to, whether there is cancer in the neck, the size of the cancer, the degrees of invasiveness, uh, we may follow that surgery with what we call post-operative or adjuvant radiotherapy, which may be combined with chemotherapy. And that is generally for higher stage disease, so stage three to four. Although in some cases we do use radiotherapy as a standalone treatment, mm -hmm. uh, but that generally is reserved for when patients are not able to withstand the full package of care, okay? Mm -hmm. What I mean by a full package of care means when patients will need radiotherapy as a, as a component of their treatment, and let's call it the package of care means that uh, surgery and radiotherapy are somewhat indivisible uh, in that setting. Because uh, if you have surgery alone, then the probability of the cancer coming back is very, very high okay mm -hmm. so i would say that uh in a curative context surgery is uh let's call it the epicenter of treatment and radiotherapy may be used in some more uh serious cases or in patients where surgery is not viable for one reason or another okay and when someone's getting prepared to go have have radiotherapy treatment what mm -hmm. steps do they go through before that treatment even starts okay so um, going back to that uh, idea where radiotherapy is a bit like uh, we have this machine that is a gun, okay? There are certain things that you want uh, to have in terms of conditions when you're shooting something, so to speak. The first thing is that you want to know where you're shooting at, okay? For us to know where we're shooting at, the first thing that we need to do is a CT scan which is the um, uh, kind of uh, 3D imaging that we use uh, very often in, uh, in cancer contexts. Now, the special thing compared to usual CT scans is that people need to have a mask fitted. And that's because of the second thing that we want when we're shooting something, which is for the target not to be moving around, okay? So that mask is a mask made out of plastic with little holes in it. Um, and it's custom made for every patient. So patients can see through it, breathe through it, smell through it, uh, hear through it, all of that. But it will keep their head, neck and shoulders kept very, very tightly. And the purpose is for the patient not to move either during the scan or then during the subsequent treatments then. So generally one thing is done after the other. So patients will have the mask made, then they have their scan, and then there is a bit of a lag period. And that depends on patients, institutions, and all of that. But anywhere between one week to three weeks where we are planning uh, treatment. So planning treatment means that we then have access to that imaging. We define where we want the radiotherapy to go, okay? 
And then there are uh, radiographers, dosimetrists, physicists that come into play. And they, uh, they are the people that will define how the radiation will conform to those targets so that it hits it, it's those targets as precisely as humanly possible. And so that certain organs that are very, very important for things to work up, uh, up around here to be avoided as accurately as possible also. Mm -hmm. So that's the lag period where we're doing, let's say, treatment planning and uh, radiotherapy checks. And then patients will start their treatment and go through their treatment. Okay. And um, so there's a huge team then that are involved with planning someone's radiotherapy. Yes. It's not someone just, yes. it's not just the oncologist. No, no, no. There's a very big team involved, not only around planning treatment. So, you know, just ensuring that the radiotherapy is delivered. Ultimately, the person that presses the button is a radiographer within a very competent team that patients generally tend to get to know very well. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, But also, there is um, a, a huge team around the patient that uh, supports the patient through treatments. And that goes from nurses to specialist radiographers, oncologists, seniors, juniors, uh, speech and language therapists, dietitians, and all of them are absolutely crucial to make treatments be as successful and as uh, comfortable as possible to the patient. Mm -hmm. And what kind of things do you all? Sorry, finish your thought. No, 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 no. It's uh, I was just going to mention that that, that there are there are also community uh, teams that are very involved in the follow up and then after treatment is completed um, uh, on the longer term follow-up of patients also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that, you know, from the patients we've spoke to as well has been something they've found so immensely helpful, like support groups and like mm -hmm. Macmillan run them all, all over the country. So to places like Maggie's Centers mm -hmm. and um, Marie Curie and the mm -hmm. Mouth Cancer Foundation, there's loads of like mouth cancer specific ones as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're all amazing. Um, yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, when someone like yourself is working with these different departments to plan someone's treatment, what kind of things do you have to take into consideration? Like um, lifestyle, does that play a part? or It is does. It... I mean, I always remind uh, both my patients and the doctors that I'm training that we're not treating uh, a cancer with little heads and little arms. Okay, We're treating a person that has a cancer. So you need to take the whole person into account. And that has an immensity of uh, variables that are uh, put into, uh, into question, so to speak. So one of them is uh, obviously what kind of cancer it is, uh, what kind of uh, treatment options there are and all of that, uh, the staging of the cancer. But when we go beyond those, uh, uh, let's call it more technical details, there is also fitness of the patient. So what kind of other diseases they have, uh, how um, do we as doctors perceive that they will be able to withstand treatment or not, okay? So that we adapt the treatment to the person as much as we uh, can. Mm -hmm. We'll also look at the social context, okay? Uh, it's not that we won't treat someone that is socially isolated, but we do need to adapt uh, to um, uh, contexts where uh, social uh, support is less, uh, well, let's call it supportive, okay? So it's a myriad of things that um, you actually take into account. And then 
most important of all, there's patient choice, obviously. So we are a job and the way I view my job towards a patient is to give them uh, options and for them to choose their options. Uh, and my role is also to tell them where an option is unsafe or not, because that's obviously the first and foremost priority to ensure that treatment is safe for whoever is the person that is in front of you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when um, when someone gets to the hospital to start their treatment, what what are the what are the steps that generally happen on an average? Mm-hmm. So a, again, yeah. I understand what you mean. I understand yeah. what you mean. So let's say, let's picture that a patient has had their surgery, okay? So uh, that's a step before. So they will have had a number of tests before that surgery. They will have had surgery. They will have had a brief period of recovery, okay? Uh, Radiotherapy generally is started within six weeks after surgery. And some of these surgeries are very, very uh, life-changing, okay? Um, So what would happen is that those patients would first and foremost see a person like me, okay? Uh, an oncologist to see how they are, see how they're recovering, see their levels of fitness, and to discuss with them why radiotherapy or chemotherapy might be uh, an important option for them, explain what's the rationale behind it, uh, check also how they're doing, whether they're fit to go ahead and all that, have a number, uh, you know, blood tests, check again for uh, fitness. Uh, They will have had before surgery uh, a dental assessment okay to make sure that their teeth are good to go ahead uh, we'll come to that uh, probably later mm-hmm. but uh, in terms of um, dental care it's important to avoid uh, dental procedures within the year after having radiotherapy then they will uh, after having those blood tests and having seen a per, uh, so a clinical oncologist they will also see the wider a uh, allied health professional team. So those will be specialist nurses, dietitians, speech and language therapists, etc. And they will go also for their scan and their um, their mask. Uh, then they might have a few more tests if they need some chemotherapy, things like checking if the kidneys are working well and all of that. And then they will start their treatment a fortnight later or so. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they go through their treatments. As they're going through their treatment, they will need blood tests pretty often, okay, to make sure that everything is going okay. They will be reviewed at least once weekly uh, while they're on their treatment and after their treatment also, okay. Um, and up to, let's say, when treatment is complete in terms of radiotherapy, I mean, this is a bit like when we catch a cold and when the cold goes away, we still cough for, uh, let's say, at least uh, four weeks or so, right? So recovery is not instantaneous. It's not like we have a switch and then we just go back to normal, okay? There is a recovery period. And uh, while during the first few weeks after radiotherapy, any side effects that might have come up uh, may still persist or uh, get worse. Afterwards, recovery is a bit of a bumpy road, meaning that it doesn't go, I'm gonna try to fit this with the, the screen. It doesn't go like that, okay? It goes like this. Okay, so there's a trend, there are better days, worse days, but people will still need quite a lot of support until, you know, much later. And that then the later depends on uh, patients. But we know that up until around three months after treatment, it might still be a bit intense for Mm -hmm. for patients. What are some of the most common side effects that people have with radiotherapy? 
So uh, in terms of the radiotherapy, uh, we tend to divide, and it's somewhat of an artificial division, okay, between uh, early side effects and late side effects. Now, I think people are more used to surgery, and because they are, it's easier to picture what an early side effect and a late side effect means, okay? So um, an early side effect of surgery would be, for example, bleeding. A late side effect of surgery would be scarring, okay? So in terms of radiotherapy, the early side effects tend to do more with inflammation, okay? So it's radio, radiation going through you. So the sun is radiation. So picture if the sun was going through you around this area here, okay? So the first, I'm not going to go over all the side effects that radiotherapy can cause. That is available in many, many sites, such yeah. as PRUKs, Macmillan's, uh, et cetera. But in a nutshell, the big thing is a big sunburn around this area. People may lose hair around here if they have a beard like me. They won't lose hair like here, like I did, okay? They will have a bit of a bit, no, a, a bad sore throat, so to speak. And when we have a sore throat, it's not exactly just the pain, okay? It's very painful. It can get very painful. Um, but we can support people with uh, painkillers, very potent painkillers, if need be. Okay, mm -hmm. it may um, all it uh, people will also feel that secretion, so that saliva and things like that around the mouth get thick. Again, like when we have a bad sore throat, where things kind of get stuck around here, sometimes it becomes a little difficult to breathe because of those secretions. So I always, 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 always tell my patients that the main thing that they're responsible for doing during their treatment is what I always say is a rule of three F's, okay? Fluids, 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 okay? A lot of water, okay? A lot of water means at least the bare minimum for anyone at any point during their lives, which is about two liters of water. So that's four pints of water every day, but ideally as much as they can get, okay? It's very, very important. It facilitates treatment. It makes it more effective. It makes the side effects kinder. Uh, it is actually very helpful for chemotherapy also if people need it, okay? So it's a big thing. Um, and uh, depending, so after surgery, many times people have difficulties in feeding. So they need something called enteric feeding where they need a tube to feed that can go either through the tummy, okay? Or through the nose and down into the stomach. But if they, they haven't had that, okay? Or if they're not needing it, uh, so to speak, it might be that they will need one if things become very painful or if it just becomes unsafe to swallow. Mm -hmm. Because when we're radiating the mouth and the neck, because when we're radiating cancers in the mouth, it's not only the mouth that we irradiate, we also need to irradiate the neck for uh, different reasons. Um, people may need a tube to feed if things are not going the right way down. So meaning that things are being pushed into the windpipe rather than the food pipe, okay? If that happens, people may need a tube also, okay? Mm -hmm. So those are the, in a very big nutshell, the early yeah. side effects. Late side effects are different, okay? They revolve not around inflammation, but more about scarring of tissues, okay? The first and foremost thing that people will notice is noticing that their mouth is at least a bit drier. That's because we have two big factories of saliva around here, another two big factories of saliva around here. So these are the submandibular glands and these are the parotid glands. 
and they are affected to different degrees by the radiotherapy. So noticing that things are um, uh, drier than they used to be is uh, most likely. Think, noticing that things are dry as the desert is not as common these days unless they are very advanced cancers where we need to irradiate very, very, very much because we use techniques of radiotherapy these days that are very, very conformal and that allow us to avoid a good bit of the parotid glands here. And those are the biggest factories of saliva that we have. Mm -hmm. So that eases things in the long term. We know that towards two years after treatment, people uh, in general feel that their quality of life has returned back to normal. Whether that is because saliva has, has returned or whether that is because uh, people have learned to live through the side effect is a bit up to debate, okay? Mm -hmm. But again, I always say that there are alternatives like artificial salivas and things like that, but the biggest form of treatment for this side effect is fluids, fluids, fluids. Other things that may happen is that people may notice that um, the teeth decay a bit um, more easily than before. So oral hygiene is a must, okay? Um, it is easier because saliva is not just there to oil the machine. It's also there to protect us from, let's call it, some bugs that we have in the mouth to become just too overwhelming for the mouth itself, okay? Bugs such as uh, candida, which causes thrush. So it's very important for people to brush their tongues also besides brushing their teeth, okay? Um, it uh, may also cause uh, difficulties in swallowing in the longer term. Now, generally, if function is good prior to starting treatment and if people are managing to swallow during treatment, it is somewhat mitigated, but we never know, even if things are wonderful prior to starting, mm -hmm. if we are that unlucky person where things are just going to become very overwhelming later and that we are not going to be able to swallow in the longer term, okay? It's very rare if function is good prior to starting, but we never know if we're that unlucky person, okay? Then um, there's also, we're irradiating muscle, okay? Because the radiation comes from outside, so to speak, from a machine that is outside us. There is no needles or things like that put uh, in, unless in very, very specialized treatments that are very different from what we usually do, okay? So uh, because we're going through muscles and tissue like skin and subcutaneous tissue and all of that, muscles are a bit like elastic bands, okay? So when we pull, they go up to a certain you know, extent. And now what happens to those muscles during treatment is that that elastic band tends to get thicker. I mean, anyone that's have ever had a scar in their skin knows that things get tight, okay? So because they get thicker, that it will be more difficult for them to pull up to the point where they should, okay? Now, it is very important that during treatment and even after treatment is over, people do neck exercises that are prescribed by the speech and language therapists and chewing exercises that look very funny when you do them, like things like this, things like this, things like this, okay? That keeps the muscles working. And this, again, what I generally tell my patients is that this is a bit like those people that manage to do the splits, okay? If they stop practicing the splits, and especially if they're having something thickening their muscles um, uh, during it, 
what will happen is that they will stop doing the splits. They will not be able to do that anymore. So it's very important to incorporate as a routine doing these exercises, okay? Then there are very much rarer side effects. So one rare side effect is causing uh, the bone, uh, whether here in the mandible, but also sometimes elsewhere, okay? to become more brittle, so to speak. Generally, patients don't notice it much, but it could um, cause something, I mean, in a nutshell, death of the bone, okay? Which generally is limited, but is very tricky to treat, okay? It's something called osteoradionecrosis, okay? That is very rare, especially if people do that dental care prior to treatment and are very, very, uh, good at um, uh, keeping good oral hygiene, so brushing their teeth and also drinking plenty of water, okay? Mm -hmm. And then the rarest of them all is having a secondary cancer caused by the radiation itself, okay? Now, the probability of that, the increased probability is about 2% over 20 years, okay? So an increase... Uh, by 2% is not just an addition, okay? It's, let's say if a person's risk uh, over the next 20 years would be 10%, then it would be 10% plus 2% of 10%. So it's very, very low still, okay? But again, I mean, it's very rare, but it can happen just as we could, in theory, be walking out and be run over by a bus, okay? It's not very usual, but it may happen. Yeah. I like that split analogy as well. That's a good one. But um, because I, I'm a very visual, um, very visual yeah. thinker. So yeah, it's good to that into something <laughs> yeah. that makes sense to me. But yeah, yeah. Um, so those, the death of the bone and the secondary cancer are very, very rare. Extremely rare. Yeah. yeah, they're extremely rare. The secondary cancers are even rarer. Okay. Mm -hmm. The, they are more pertinent to people that are very young, especially, um, you know, children that go through radiotherapy, unfortunately, sometimes, okay, uh, but not to the population that generally has head and neck cancer. Okay? Mm -hmm. And um, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this that makes sense. So with the risks of radiotherapy, though, they way outweigh the risks of not having it is i think the main yeah. thing to... so the benefits what i think you mean is that the benefits of radiotherapy outweigh the risks yeah and they most definitely do okay by far just to put it into context for example uh stage 4a uh uh cancer so someone with a stage 4a cancer that will have had surgery in the tongue okay so a big cancer with uh, lymph nodes in the neck that are invaded by cancer also that will have had surgery uh, that uh, has removed the cancer with a margin and also what we call a neck dissection where we remove you know as many of the lymph nodes in the neck as we can okay will have a recurrence risk that is about 60 percent okay so that means that if people have these very big very life-changing surgeries uh, if 10 people have one of those surgeries, six people will go on to have their cancer come back. And generally, these cancers come back within a year. So it will have been a huge fight, so to speak, for no success, okay? What radiotherapy does is that it at least halves the risk, okay? 
So it means that uh, people, instead of having the 60% chance of the cancer recurring, will have about a 20% cancer of the cancer recurring. So instead of six people out of 10 going on to have cancer returning, two people out of 10 will have uh, cancer returning. Okay, And that is very, 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 very different because when these cancers return, it's an ugly disease to treat. Okay. Yeah. So the benefits far outweigh the risks, far outweigh the risks by a mile, a lot of miles, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and when, um, just to circle back really quickly, so again, with the with the analogies of the gun versus the, the hand grenade of radiotherapy versus the chemotherapy, mm -hmm. because from what I know of chemo, can involve like a long hospital stays and the treatment can take a really long time but mm -hmm. when someone goes in for like a session of radiotherapy mm -hmm. how long are they generally in their appointment for three minutes, minutes. Right? Yeah. yeah three minutes around so um i think that people picture this a bit because we all see a lot of movies and movies tend to be a little dramatic about these things okay sometimes people require admissions for radiotherapy and chemotherapy but that is very rare and generally when that happens, it's just because people are very ill during their treatment. And so they need to come in for one reason or another, okay? And that may be because of the treatment, because of the cancer, because of a lot of things, okay? In general, patients that are having either radiotherapy or chemotherapy for their head and neck cancers don't require to stay in hospital to have that. And focusing on radiotherapy specifically, um, Patients don't need to stay in hospital. Many patients just have their treatment completely as outpatients. They don't need to come in for no reason whatsoever. Okay. Um, the treatment itself is very quick. Okay. So between walking in and out of the door, so people walk in, they have their mask put, they get positioned. Okay. Again, we're shooting somewhere, so we want to be very accurate. Um, and uh, after, after having been positioned, the treatment, so while the machine is going around and delivering the radiation, takes about one to two minutes. And while people are being treated, I mean, it's a bit like having a scan. You don't see the radiation. You don't feel the radiation. It doesn't hurt while you're doing it. You don't become radioactive or anything like that, okay? So you can be around whoever you want, you know, uh, old people, tiny babies, whatever it is, okay? It doesn't make any difference whatsoever. Treatment is very quick and we generally treat our patients over 30 days without weekends. So that means six weeks. Sometimes, depending on the indication, it could be four weeks instead, but that's very rare, okay? When we're treating people for uh, cancers that cannot be cured, it's an entirely different thing. And we generally give those treatments in shorter time periods when we mean shorter time periods it's the number of days where people are coming in to have their treatment which might be anywhere from five to about 10 days or something like that okay mm -hmm. depending on what we call the fractionation schedule and that generally is explained in a lot of detail by the attending clinician yeah yeah and yeah i imagine if someone is facing a, a cancer diagnosis that can't be cured they don't want to be spending days yeah. going back it, and forwards yeah but it depends i mean each person is a different person and each case is a different case yeah of course yeah and again and, remember sophie you're always weighing risks and benefits 
the more radiation dose and radiation intensity, the more the risks are there. So you need to weigh the benefits very much, okay? When you're attempting to cure a patient, okay, many risks are justified by the fact that the cancer, we're trying as hard as we can for the cancer not to come back. But when we know that the cancer is not going to be cured no matter what we do, okay, we're trying to delay rather than stopping the cancer altogether, okay, then the risks are much more on our minds, okay? Yeah. With your experience and knowledge that you have, is there anything that you think maybe patients should know that maybe they don't going into treatment? Um, just yeah, I've, yeah. I've already mentioned it, okay? Yeah. Fluids, 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 okay? Mm -hmm. Maybe the, I think that that is the, the biggest thing that people don't know. I mean, there, are, there isn't exactly evidence that any supplements or, you know, any hocus pocus stuff uh, will uh, change uh, either outcomes or side effects significantly, except for fluids, fluids, fluids. Trying to exercise as much as people can and I do stress with ve a very thick highlighter, okay, the part where as people can, okay, is important, okay, there is very good evidence of uh, some preclinical studies that exercise helps radiotherapy work better, and especially helps cancers go away, okay, because it boosts immunity in a way. Um, and I mean, I think that this is pretty obvious, not smoke, okay. Not smoking, you know, stopping smoking when uh, these things happen is extremely crucial. The first and foremost side—it's uh, not—it's not the side effect. The first and foremost um, risk factor for having a cancer of the head and neck, whether it's in your cavity or elsewhere, is having had a cancer of the head and neck. So, unfortunately, that risk factor is not going away. But the second one is smoking. So after a diagnosis like this, even before, I mean, but uh, definitely after this treatment, you don't want to blow your chances, okay? Uh, so it's really, yeah. really absolutely crucial, okay? 100%, yeah, we're all, we're on the same page <laughs> yeah. with you. It's, it's mind-blowing that people can find out that they have an oral cancer and still continue to smoke but we know what happens old habits die yeah. hard you know and people that are going i'm not very judgmental actually i'm not judgmental about that at all because when people have a diagnosis of one of these diseases it's a brutal thing okay when you have a doctor in front of you telling you you're not you may not be able to eat anymore you may not be able to talk anymore you may not be able to this and that okay and there, we, we need to go through all the risks that are possible um, about this, okay? It is a very, very, very sizable experience. So when you go through that, I mean, smoking a bit like many other things is a bit of a crutch, okay? And so the thing is, uh, you tend to rely on the crutches you know, so it's difficult. It is a difficult thing, okay? um vaping is less bad it's not good but it's less bad so that's what i advise my patients but with the aim to essentially eliminate it but in the knowledge that this is not easy many people have been through it and failed and 
The thing is, it's not a failure to you. It's something where you need to know you're going to go through days like this, okay? Where, okay, I'm going to get through this. I'm not going to, ma I'm going to manage this very well. Poof, and this is a cancer. I'm going to die and all of that, okay? When you reach those low points, you're going to reach for your crutch, okay? Uh, so I'm uh, understandable. as much as possible, uh, people need to give up, but I mean, it needs to be a, a quid pro quo also with their doctor, find help where they require it, um, try to uh, wrest uh, some uh, support from their uh, own, let's call it community and wider uh, support network. It's very important. Okay. But it's uh, it's it's difficult, and people yeah. need to know that it's difficult. Okay. Yeah, definitely, and uh, yeah, you're right. It's so in a time of added stress. <laughs> I guess you're probably not going to want to add more stress on by trying yeah, to. Yeah, but you need to, to 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 do it. You need to do it, but in the knowledge that it's difficult. Okay, mm -hmm. and especially that people around you are not judging you and all of that because uh, it's, you know. Yeah. Because I've asked you a lot of questions. Is there anything that you think you get asked a lot from patients, maybe that common queries that we haven't discussed? I think we've or... been through through most of them. The main one is what can I do for myself during treatment and afterwards? Okay. I would say some other things that perhaps people may not be as aware. Okay. Radiotherapy, a bit like when we get the sunburn. Okay, so we're at the beach, we don't notice, we get a lot of sun, and then a bit later, our skin starts to turn red. And then after that, it starts to become painful like hell. Okay, so uh, radiotherapy and radiation, it's not exactly the same mechanism, but you do see kind of the same pattern in the sense that towards up until week three of treatment, people won't notice much of side effects. Okay, and then after week three, it will start to gradually rise up. After that, it will start to uh, gradually uh, come back down, okay? So during the first three weeks after a treatment initiation, things might not be very present, but suddenly they, poof, they, they do come up and you notice them very much. Just as that happens, after treatment is over, people may worsen from their side effects of treatment, okay? So you're not off the hook when the treatment finishes and recoveries are long, okay? I generally see my patients six weeks after their treatment and they're still recovering, although a month and a half is quite a bit of time, okay? And we generally call the division between early and late side effects around 12 weeks, so that's three months after treatment. So that means that up until then, there is a gradual recovery and some people take longer than that because people are different, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's very important. Again, important, it's very important to drink water as much as possible as long as they're allowed to, okay? So as long as things are not unsafe for swallowing. And engagement with their teams is very, very important, okay? And also some understanding that we are, uh, during these treatments, we are pushing the human body to a big limit. And this involves an immensity of resource around people, okay? Um, and uh, people will be attending hospital very often uh they will be seeing many many professionals sometimes here and there people are uh, you know there are delays especially because in cancer clinics uh, many times you have patients where things go wrong so sometimes when we need to wait a little more uh for an appointment it might just be that 
we are not the very urgent person and that's actually good not bad yeah. okay um it's more about you know framing your mind that while you're going through this it is a complicated process uh you'll have a lot of you know a bit of a coaching staff around you but the big player is you and you'll be going through treatment you you need to get into the let's call it mentality of it okay so where you're going to go through this and very importantly mo actually most important of all there is a light at the end of the tunnel it is a period it will go away you'll get through it and at the end of it i mean the odds would favor people getting cured okay so it is a fight that people go through but it is a fight that eventually gets to a point where it finishes okay and while you're going through treatment, sometimes it's difficult to remember it because it is a lot of time. Yeah, and I mean, it, it is a process that, that you go through, you know, when you know, you've perhaps already had surgery and, and you may have been going through chemotherapy as well or a mixture of, of all of them. And it is um, it is a long old process, but it's it's amazing what we can do. You know, the technology that, that is available to be able to to help patients who have uh, have cancers. Definitely. And um, it's just one of the reasons why we need to keep raising awareness of the mouth cancer and um, really all cancers because yeah. the more awareness that we can raise about spotting the signs early and the more messages we can get out of it's not a lost cause, it's going to be tough, but you can get through it and you'll make it to the other side and you'll be fine and there's a whole plethora of people that are going to make sure you you've got the best chance possible of getting to the other end you're not on your own and mm. it's um a real message of hope i think talking to i him. think so too and i mean when when we look at um when we look at other cancers there are a lot of other cancers that do have um you know pretty pretty hopeful uh prognoses these days and the survival rates are are much much higher and there is much more awareness of the signs and symptoms of a lot of cancers um obviously mouth cancer is is not up there with with them um as yet which is why we keep banging on about raising the awareness of, of anything but you know it, it's looking at any part of your body and any changes anything that's different for you in any part of your body really needs to be checked out mm -hmm, definitely and um well we run the campaign all year no november we we focus really heavily on it but it's something we're fighting for all year round so if you go to mouthcancer.org you can learn more about signs and symptoms statistics um different things you can go you can do to check for mouth cancer um, as well as see all of the amazing ambassadors that we have share their experiences because they are just all incredible people and as well um, they they help us do what we do and we're very grateful for it. Absolutely and I think those real stories really do um, come through and do far more than you know we can do with with you know giving people stats and percentages and whatever you listen to a real story 
and that is always going to be much accepted much much more easily and and you know you get much more of an understanding um of of what the the uh, mouth cancer is all about and you know the treatments etc and living with it as well yeah 100% and you know I really recommend that you go and have a read of their stories and see how else you can get involved in the campaign because mouth cancer action goes on all year like we say and um, we really need your help spreading the word Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.